Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We made very strong commitments in our uh, campaign. Commitments that we've delivered on just a few months later today. Whether it's the 75% on oil and gas methane reduction. Whether it's uh, capping and cutting emissions in the oil and gas sector, which uh, we are the first major oil and gas producing country to do that. Or whether it's leading the world on carbon pricing. These are things that we laid out to Canadians we would do. Just a few months later, we're doing them. Prime Minister Trudeau on what he and his government are doing as far as the environment is concerned and the energy industry is concerned. That has a is an issue of great concern and interest to my uh, first guest today, who is the premier designate for the province of Alberta. Daniel Smith joins us on the program. So, uh, Daniel, thank you very much. And I'm going to do this first name thing with you one more time. And then after that, it's going to be premier. Um but what's it been like over the last several days? How do you prepare to become premier? It's been fantastic over the last few days. It's, it's so interesting because there's a lot of posturing that happens during a leadership campaign. Because, look, everyone's fighting it out and they're fighting it tough and they're, gonna, they're going to take their best shots. But what, what is amazing, probably that the public doesn't see, is that when the contest is over, it's over. And most, the vast, vast majority of people are willing to just put forgiveness first, say, hey, look, that was just a campaign. Now we've got to get on to the next one, which is looking forward to May when we've got to defeat the NDP. So I've just been delighted as people have been starting to repair their relationships and address some of the issues that caused some problems in the past. But I'm feeling really confident that we're going to be a united group going into into that election. You could have left uh, politics forever, and and uh, you had certainly a lot of experience in the province. And here you are, and uh, you've you've uh, come back, and and you're going to be the premier on Tuesday. What is the number one issue that uh, is of significance to the people of the province of Alberta? What's number one? Number one is healthcare. I um I, I think we're seeing this across the entire country. We've all sort of followed each other in allowing for bureaucrats and ex- experts to take control over our healthcare system. And they told us that they knew what they were doing. And so we deferred to them for many, many years. And now it's pretty clear they don't know what they're doing, that this facade of us having the best health system in the world has come crashing down. And it wasn't COVID that broke the system. It was COVID that made us all realize the system was broken. And when that occurs, it's time for the, the elected officials to take charge, to do some restructuring, to identify the problems and to and to solve them, so th- we will have some very rapid action on healthcare in the first thirty days, and uh, and I want to have a, a restructuring in place with probably within the next ninety days, so that we can begin to ha- start having some local control and local decision making and address the local problems that have emerged from a system that has become overly centralized, overly bureaucratic. And maybe we'll be able to, to show some leadership that others will, will follow in the rest of the country. Yeah, a lot of what we're hearing about the healthcare system in this country, uh, whichever province we happen to be talking about or the national picture, is deeply concerning with hundreds of thousands of surgeries uh, delayed. And last weekend, we found about uh, found about children uh, with their surgeries and their diagnosis delayed, which is going to cost them throughout their lives. But uh, so uh, you mentioned on Thursday in your Thursday evening speech, which I watched, you mentioned personal health choices. 
would that also uh, be a line that Ottawa shouldn't cross? Let's talk about that. What what should the personal choices be? You've talked about that for, for some time now. What do you envision? I think the, the main thing I'm concerned about is the division that was created over vaccine choice. I mean, I think a lot of people have been mischaracterized. They've been demonized. It started with the prime minister calling people names because they are a little bit more cautious or maybe they're a little bit more health conscious and they believe that they can keep their immune system strong and they should be able to make their own choices when we get into fall respiratory virus season about what they put into their bodies. I'm, I'm very respectful of people making those choices. Uh, we've had flu season and that has become endemic and you see about a third of the population makes the decision to protect themselves. And that's the, the attitude that we've got to bring to the issue of talking about COVID is that you take a vaccine to protect yourself and we have to stop demonizing people who make a different choice. So that's uh, what I'm. That's principally what I what I mean when I talk about not uh, not punishing people on the basis of the choices that they make. Because look what's happened. I mean, not only did we create division in society, and we created a dog pile. We created ostracism. People lost their jobs. People weren't allowed to travel up until uh, uh, October the first. And that is, has created a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of damage to society. We've got to we've got to acknowledge the damage that caused and repair it and make sure it doesn't happen again. Do you regret anything that you said about health care and individual choices for health? And uh, and also, do you regret anything that you said about COVID? You know, I have a lot of regrets about a, a lot of things. I've been in the public eye for 27 years. And I, I think there's, there's times that I've misspoken. There's times that I have said things that have hurt people's feelings or times that I've not communicated well and have been misunderstood. And that is just what happens when you elect imperfect people. I, I, I people know that I'm flawed and I think people are willing to forgive. I think they would rather have a leader that they can trust because they're sincere and they know that if they make mistakes, they'll apologize for them. But they'll also know that if they feel strongly about something, they'll stick to their guns. So people have gotten to know my personality over a very long time in public life. I know the the media is astonished that the people of Alberta gave me a second chance, but it took seven years of hard repair work to make sure that people understood I was with them. So um, it, it wasn't like it was an overnight success story or an overnight turnaround. But in the process of repairing those relationships, I think people have a pretty good idea of who I am. So am I going to be perfect? No. Am I going to make mistakes? Yep. Am I going to make the same mistakes in the future? I sure as heck hope not. But uh, yeah, there's of course I'll have regrets. And, and I just hope that people are in a forgiving frame of mind. Well, please don't count me among the media people who are astonished that people gave you a second chance in Alberta and that you're the, uh, the premier to be. I, I had a good sense this was going to happen. I'm going to just play something back for you and get your visceral response to this. And we played it at the beginning of the, of the show, of the segment. Here's the Prime Minister. We made very strong commitments in our uh, campaign. Commitments that we've delivered on just a few months later today. Whether it's the 75% on oil and gas methane reductions. Whether it's uh, capping and cutting emissions in the oil and gas sector, which uh, we are the first major oil and gas producing country to do that or whether it's leading the world on carbon pricing. These are things that we laid out to Canadians we would do. Just a few months later, we're doing them. All right, so there's Justin Trudeau at COP26. And, uh, Daniel, you've promised there will be a different relationship with Mr. Trudeau, <laughs> and particularly, I would imagine, on issues like energy. And he, of course, is the architect of C69 and C48. So when you hear that, when you hear the prime minister say what he just said, please, what do you hear? How do you respond? 
Well, he spends a lot of time talking about matters that are within provincial jurisdiction. I would first observe that. When he's talking about carbon pricing, I should put on the record that it was Alberta that began the first carbon pricing. We have a program in place for those with high levels of emissions that if they go above the average in their industry, they put money into a fund and then that fund is used for innovation. So that was something that was created under Ed Stelmack and continued under all the subsequent premiers. So I just want to make sure that everyone knows he's taking credit for something Alberta already took the lead on. There's also widespread support for reducing methane emissions in Alberta, and because those are some of the simplest things to be able to do. It's, in fact, quite interesting to me to see that the Bitcoin miners have partnered with the energy sector to capture those emissions and turn them into Bitcoin. So that's one of the ways in which... Uh, innovation is happening in Alberta that doesn't often get talked about. And there's a, a, a whole pile of innovation that happened around carbon capture, using carbon dioxide for useful purposes and products, as well as the emerging hydrogen economy. So I just wish he'd give a little bit more credit to the people who are doing these things, which are the incredible innovators in our energy sector. Um, the I, I had had a conversation with the prime minister and indicated to him that we would be joining the federal delegation to COP27. I think that that's important to send a signal that we, we, do, we believe we need to speak on behalf of ourselves when it comes to those international forums. And so that is going to be in Egypt, I understand, in November. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to find more common ground because I, I think that there, what is, what is often not really understood about Alberta is, is just how much our energy industry understands that they have to be able to show leadership on this if they're going to be able to, to attract billions of dollars in investment for these projects. So I, I think it's often been characterized as if the federal government is pushing the industry to do something it doesn't want to do. It's, it's actually, I think, the opposite. I think that the federal government tends to push too hard, a little bit unrealistically, put forward aspirations that are unachievable and harmful. And that's where I'm hoping we can find um, a pathway that's going to be a little more productive than the one we've seen in the last seven years. When you and I spoke during the uh, campaign, leadership campaign for the UCP, you were very direct on what the situation was going to be as far as Mr. Trudeau forcing or declaring that the provinces were going to take certain actions, and you were very direct about what your response would be as premier, if he crossed the line into provincial jurisdiction. And that brings us, I imagine, into the issue of the Sovereignty Act. So if there is a collision between the initiatives of Mr. Trudeau and the determined response by the premier of Alberta, Premier Smith, what happens? We are going to take the lead on getting our products to market, and we're going to do it within the framework that I think the country wants. The country wants us to develop our resources in an environmentally responsible way, and we are, and we're going to assert that. I've already had a, a conversation with uh, some of my provincial counterparts about how we might work together on developing economic corridors and pathways so that we can get our product to market. And that, I think, might be the, the first test of the relationship. I would like to see us work with our First Nations partners. You may have seen I made uh, Chief Billy, former Chief uh, B Chief Billy Moore, and his former Chief Finock. I've, I've asked for him to be on my transition team to help me with establishing these relationships with all of the the uh, treaty area grand chiefs, so that we can start working on an economic corridor and economic reconciliation where we can work in partnership 
to develop out a lot of this infrastructure. I, I Normally, you'd expect the federal government to take the lead on this. It's actually their job to do that. It's their job to b- build these pathways under trade and commerce. But if they're going to fail in their job, it's also partly our job to work on getting our products to market. So, so I think that's going to test the relationship. But I think that we're, we're, we're going to be on solid ground in pushing that forward. Where does the Sovereignty Act fit, fit into this into this picture? I think that you've seen a number of actions in the in the country where you've got provinces that are asserting their their rights to t- to manage their own affairs. I've mentioned Quebec and how uh, they pushed back when the Emergencies Act was was first ele- was first uh, declared at the federal level. Quite rightly, as it turns out, there was no justification for the Emergencies Act, and they said they didn't want it enforced in their province. You saw in in Saskatchewan, Scott Moe's been very strong on your show in particular. I love it when you have him on talking about how reduction in fertilizer use is just not on next and weekend agriculture. Agriculture is an area of provincial joint jurisdiction, but we're supposed to take the lead on that. Look at British Columbia. British mm-hmm. Columbia has never enforced the the drug laws. Now they've asked for a formal um, dispensation from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. So you, you already see that provinces say, "Hey, look, we do things a little bit differently around here." Yeah, I understand. I but that- but you've said but you've said uh, that you're going to deliver the Sovereignty Act. So where yeah. does that fit into a disagreement with uh, with the uh, federal government? For example, Mr. Trudeau insists he's going to continue to raise the uh, the carbon tax. Yesterday, Sylvain Charlebois, who is a professor at Dalhousie, as you know, and the head of the Agri-Foods uh, Laboratory there, told us that uh, not once has the federal government considered the impact of the carbon tax on the price on food. At the same time, we know 23.6% of Canadians are cutting back on food purchases because they can't afford it. And 7.1% are telling Dalhousie they've been forced to skip meals because of the price of food. Mm -hmm. So if there is a push and shove that develops between the federal government and the government of Alberta, which you will will be leading... Where does the Sovereignty Act fit in? When do you just say to them, no? There's certain things we can do and certain things we can't. Where we say no is on things like them asking us to use our RCMP resources to confiscate guns. We've already clearly said no, as has Saskatchewan and Manitoba. The step I would add to that is that when we do make those decisions, I'd like for them to be debated openly in the legislature because that's a pretty solid line that we're drawing. So just understand that uh, that would be an additional step that we'd have in defending our our constitutional jurisdiction. As for the carbon tax, I intend to, to re-challenge that. I've give, been given advice that people tend to think that once the Supreme Court has rendered a decision, you can never challenge the issue again. It's not double jeopardy. It's not like a murder case. What it is is that if new information comes forward, you absolutely can challenge it again. And what is what new information has emerged since that we lost that case was, number one, a war in Ukraine, which has caused international instability in the movement of energy. Massive surge in all types of hydrocarbon fuel pricing and a huge affordability crisis for our most vulnerable and our seniors. And I think that that new information, especially combined with the things that we started talking about, all the ways in which the industry are making dramatic reductions in industrial emissions. Mm-hmm. I'd like to challenge that again, and I think we might be able to win it this time. So there are certain things when the Supreme Court has rendered a decision, we have to find a, an alternative pathway to make a better argument. But I, I think that we've got to defend our territory in the first place so that when so Ottawa understands, just just don't in, invade our jurisdiction. You don't have a right to legislate in our areas any more than we have a right to legislate in yours. And I think we, we can have a really constructive conversation about how the country is supposed to work the way the founders intended with Alberta taking that strong stance. And I hope others follow us. I will volunteer to moderate when the uh, 
when the questions arise. Now, I look forward to that. I'll take you up on it. <laughs> All right, you've got it. So, questions now. You, you announced yesterday you're running in a by-election. It will be in Brooks Medicine Hat, but you're not supporting a by-election in the Calgary Elbow Riding where Doug Schweitzer has resigned. Why not? Couple reasons. No, number one is there may be other retirements that happen, and so we'd end up with potentially a cascading number of by-elections and the extra cost associated with that. And we're only a month uh, or we're less than a year out from an election. So when you're less than a year from an election, it is a, a constitutional convention that you you don't have to call a, a, a by-election. We also don't have a candidate chosen in that riding. So I know that there are a couple of, um, of potentials, but they need a process that they would go through in, in trying to determine who their candidate would be. And for me, um, since we do have a general election coming up in May and I'm committing to that, I, I would rather just uh, not have the extra expense associated with multiple by-elections. I, we have a convention where the adjacent MLA takes care of the of that riding. And I always said I wanted to represent a rural riding. Um, I live in a, a rural riding currently. Um, Michaela Fr- uh, Fry stepped down uh, to make way for me in a very similar type of riding in Brooks Medicine Hat because I want to send a signal that rural Alberta matters and their okay. voice has not been respected at the table and it is going to be respected at the table. I, I love our, our, our rural parts of our province. All right. And I think it will send a really strong message that uh, they are going to have a voice. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.